Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm and art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you want to learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and I am on the journey to go from hip-hop dancing engineer to multi turned multifamily real estate investor. And this is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Now, we are bringing back the powerhouse Yona Weiss. If you want to hear a story and more of like a high-level uh, synopsis of cost segregation, Definitely listen to the first episode because now we are going to get into the nitty gritty of you know not you know what nitty gritty kind of has like a negative connotation to it. I don't really like the, the nitty gritties. I'm going to say uh, more tactical and uh, uh, more precise and concise details within a cost segregation study. So everyone, welcome back, Yona Weiss. Thank you, Taylor. It is a pleasure joining you once again. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to go into the. Uh, the detailed breakdown of cost segregation. Yeah, let's do it. So, you know, I mean, let's let's just first off, and you know, since this is catered for multifamily properties, you know, and, and I wouldn't even say aside from mobile home parks, um, let's let's just use the, the the typical apartment building, right? You know, garden style. You know, we just bought the property, and now uh, we are trying to do a cost segregation study. On it, and we go through the estimation and a feasibility analysis first. Now, when we ask for a feasibility analysis or get a free evaluation from that, what are some of the things that that uh, you guys highlight within that document? So, in the actual feasibility analysis that we do, we'll go ahead and show you, based on some just some simple metrics of a property, our engineers will look at the square footage, the number of units, you know, the type of property it is, the breakdown, the, the unit layouts, et cetera, the year it was built. And all those things are going to contribute to give us an, a general idea, I mean, based on the thousands of studies we've done similar to that type of property, what the tax benefits are going to be. So again, if you remember from the previous episode, or you're just tuning in now for the first time, <laughs> right? The cost segregation is going to segregate that cost, right? Segregate the cost. What does that even mean? You take the cost of the building, whatever you bought it for, let's say, in our example, let's just say you bought a multifamily for a million bucks, okay? Million dollars, good deal, right? <laughs> Depends. <laughs> if it was in, if it was in uh, you know, Southern, Northern California, it's a duplex. If it's in, uh, <laughs> if it's in uh, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, it's a, it's a 30 unit building. Or if it's um, but, in the Smoky Mountains, it's a, it's a cabin next to <laughs> a national park. <laughs> exactly. So either way you're looking at it, let's say it's a million dollar property. We're going to be breaking out the building, the structural components, which really depreciate on a 27 and a half year schedule, like normal, what people will call straight line depreciation. And we're going to segregate that cost into different categories, things that are going to be depreciating on a five-year schedule or a 15-year schedule, things that are in the building. So that's our simple like high-level overview of that analysis. We'll show you what percentage we're projecting can be accelerated to those faster depreciation schedules. And then what's your actual tax deduction going to be over those first few years? And then what's your tax benefit going to come out from that? Got it. And so going more into detail then, like what are some of these structural components that that y'all look at? Yeah. So the structural, again, we're bringing out everything. So we break down um, from an engineering standpoint, 
what the value of every individual component is. So when we say structural, that's going to include, you know, how much is the value of the foundation? How much is the value of the windows, the roof, the doors, uh, the main electrical and main plumbing, things like that, that are all individual structural components that all have a value to them. That's going to be the majority of the property. Okay. Once you've broken out a land allocation, okay, land does not depreciate, but the structure is going to be what's called the building. The first thing we're going to do is break out what, what's in the building. Okay. What's that structure. Then we're going to look at and see, okay, there's, there's what's called personal property that depreciates on a five-year schedule. What's all that stuff. And that can include anything from, I mean, you know, basically think about anything inside a property down to the studs, literally, I mean, from the window treatments to carpeting, to cabinets, uh, countertops, furniture, appliances, you know, even things like millwork or, uh, you know, lighting and things like that, all those things are going to have value and they're going to depreciate on a five-year schedule. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to assign values to all those things based on industry standard values. We're like basically reverse engineering the property because you, again, you got to think about engineering and think about how that relates to the depreciation. When you build a property and you know the exact value of the materials that were used to build it, so that's a new construction. You have the invoices, you know exactly. Now you can depreciate those individual components based on exactly what you spent. But when you're buying an existing building and your depreciation starts day one based on the day you bought it and the purchase price you spent, you may have bought this property for a million dollars, but it only cost the builder $120,000 to build You know, 10 years ago. So we have to now come in and reverse engineer based on the, you know, the real value of those things plus the useful life uh, that's that's in them and make this very complicated calculation to come up with the value of those individual components. Got it. And now, is that just based off like just the first analysis that y'all are giving us and just deciding if you want to that all that? Oh, geez, <laughs> that's a lot of information just like in the in the in the first go around. Now, yeah, no, the initial the initial kind of feasibility analysis, it's a free estimate that we're giving. It's not going to go into all those uh, specific details. What I was mentioning before, that's when our engineers actually come to the property to do this conservation study to take that, you know, on-site analysis, you know, similar to an appraisal, literally looking at everything and, and breaking down the entire property. So typically for in for a cost segregation study then, so they, let's say we go with the approval and you know we want to have a cost segregation study on our property. What does the timeline typically look like for something like this? It usually takes us about four to six weeks or so to complete the entire process. You know, again, we're going to have that on-site engineer visit. They're going to collect all the data in form of, you know, pictures, measurements, you know, video if they need to take that of the entire property. And then take that all that data, break it down and create this, you know, 80, 90 page report that's literally going to be breaking down everything into, you know, great details, a whole numbering system, there's a whole nomenclature needs to be used. There's all the case history from the tax code that needs to be inputted in there to really define all, you know, the actual references to the the tax code and the, you know, cost recovery system, et cetera. It's very detailed. So yeah, that whole process takes about four to six weeks. And then will that pumps out, like I said, this very detailed report and in it has one page, which is your new depreciation schedule. And for, and you know, it seems like this, this is like very almost like hands off and, and y'all take care of a, a lot of the, the legwork going into it. Now for someone that is like for a property owner that is wanting to do this cost segregation study, like, is there really like any effort or documents that they should have lined up 
to give to y'all to try and streamline that process to make it easier for you guys? Yeah, we request a few pieces of, uh, of documentation just to help streamline that and make sure that you know all the information is accurate. We're submitting this, right? You're submitting this to the IRS, right? It's part of your tax filing, okay? So you need to make sure that everything is accurate. So we're going to look at the closing statement, make sure you know the exact LLC name that we're referencing, it's the exact address, the exact purchase price that was referenced that, you know, so all of that is part of the report. We'll, we'll look at an appraisal, a site survey, if you have one, just to make sure that everything is is lined up according to what we've seen. Now, I'm curious with, are there, have there been any bad cases that essentially have made your jobs more difficult to find some of this information? Um, And what are those, uh, what are those cases like? The time when it becomes most difficult is when you're doing a renovations study. As we mentioned in the previous episode, you can do the consideration on the acquisition. Mm -hmm. And then a follow-up, really kind of supplementary consideration on the renovations that were done at a later point, because all the money spent on renovations are going to be included in, uh, you know, are going to be depreciated. And so you can get the tax benefit of that. However, oftentimes we have situations where people don't really have such great records and know how much money was spent on what. So you have a very difficult time being able to prove that, you know, $100,000 was spent and, and then you break that down into what it was actually spent on. You know, some people unfortunately have, you know, just have a, a line item, right? I'm giving the contractor. The contractor just, you know, went to Lowe's or Home Depot and I don't know what they bought. I just have a receipt for, for Lowe's, but it doesn't say what, what was on it or whatever. I just have a line item there. So we, it's very difficult to then see what was actually spent in that renovation report. So for the renovation, we require a very detailed kind of breakdown of the costs. And, you know, just to, just to clarify too, now when we're talking about uh, the renovation breakdown, you're, I mean, I, I can't imagine you're able to to write off the the labor that it took to do the renovations, but more so just the material. Is that correct in that standpoint, or no? So no, some of the soft costs like labor can can actually be depreciated as well. Hmm. Okay. And so you know, when you are going through those line items, and you know, you're talking to your contractors and trying to you know get these quotes and different estimates, then trying to be as detailed as possible for what they spend helps out you guys in, in, in the long run exactly. to be able to, okay, sounds good. Cause, cause I come from a, a construction background as, as well as building restaurants and, you know, it just makes me not, I mean, our, our records were, we're all in check, but I have also heard horror stories too, <laughs> where people's records were not in check and they kind of just like put it under certain line items that they couldn't necessarily right. prove. And they would like try and hide the numbers. To, exactly to get a profit. Okay. Interesting. And you know, when the, when the time does come for that and like, let's say the, the owner didn't necessarily know like where it was coming from, like what is some of the ways that y'all find that information and sort of start digging? Like, do you guys talk to the uh, contractors as well? Or is that more like the property owner's responsibility to try and get that information first before y'all can move forward? Something is very difficult to speak to contractors, but it depends at what point we're engaged for this, right? So if we yeah. have the information needed, even before you start, then we can kind of give a guideline to you know what, what you should be actually doing with that. Most times with people beforehand will have a very detailed budget, right, that they're coming up with, and then they'll be handing that over. That's right. You know, that's very helpful. And, and, you know, if a project is done well, you will have not just a general ledger, which is difficult to kind of 
break down, but you'll have at the end of the day, a detailed report, like an AIA document, something similar where you'll have uh, a breakdown of the costs and, and what they were allocated to. Got it. So in most cases, you don't really have those bad apples that uh, <laughs> they give y'all uh, it a hard time. It does happen, but it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not very common, but it definitely does. It, it comes up. Occasionally. Okay. You know, I'd love to, I know we kind of touched on this a little bit beforehand in the previous episode. You know, I'd love to just even get more into the details within it Nick, for property owners that are wanting to do like this cost segregation study. I mean, having mm-hmm. their records is huge. And, you know, even for a renovation cost segregation study, like making sure that all their line items are, are squared away, right? After that, and, you know, maybe even aside from that, is there anything else that you should expect the property owners to provide or, or do any work on? I, so I'm just kind of like trying to get the whole like uh, yeah, framework yeah. behind like, what, like well, how much. Yeah. There's not a lot that goes into it. I mean, there really isn't. It's, it's, a, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, from the time that someone, you know, requests a feasibility analysis that they're going to look and see if it even makes sense for their property to the time where they'll receive that final report, there is like maybe three or four points of communication and, and that's it. I mean, it's really uh, hands off okay. for the most part okay. for the investor is not something that needs to, there, there's not a lot of involvement whatsoever. Like I said, there's like maybe a request for some documentation. That's it. We schedule the engineer. They do that. That's it. Come back in a few weeks and turn around that report. Is there's literally there's not a lot okay. that goes into it. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. These are answering my questions. Okay, 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 got it. And uh, you know, one last question. You know, before we we wrap up, now you know, let's say we do like uh, we we bring this to our CPA and we do get pushback from them. Like, oh, is this even real? I mean, what's what? Hmm, what is the question I'm trying to ask? Like, I guess like the if you get pushback. Ah, I, cause the question that I'm, I'm trying to like go for is like, if, if you get pushback and uh, the CPA doesn't want to accept any of this information, like, do I need to now try and find another CPA that will accept that information or, or do y'all go to battle for, go to battle with us and, and try and get them to understand that process? You know, it, it's, it's rarely ever happened that that situation even, even oh, comes okay. up because again, what yeah. we're, what we're doing is, is all aligned with the you know the conservation audit techniques guide there are occasional well they'll they'll come back and maybe they have a difference of opinion of certain line items like oh well i thought this you know should be depreciated or or what's that of questions and we're totally open that you know happy to have discussions and explain our you know our uh process and our our methodology as well but it's own i mean literally I can't even think of an occasion where a CPA would even come back and be like, well, I don't like this whatsoever. <laughs> it's not okay. it's garbage. It, just, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. I mean, if, if something were that to occur, I mean, obviously we want, we'd want to get to the bottom and understand why, you know, the CPA doesn't like it if that were to occur. And then if, you know, they're refusing to accept it for whatever reason, then it might be worthwhile finding a new CPA. I mean, there are, usually it doesn't get to that point. I mean, I always recommend people discussing this with their CPA before, they even engage to do the cost segregation because they want to make sure that's why we create this feasibility analysis, like show this to them, show them here, does this make sense for my situation? More oftentimes, you know, obviously it does, but you'll have that discussion. You'll know ahead of time what you can expect. Got it. Okay. 
Yeah, that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, it's a straightforward, <laughs> straight line, if, if you may, if you may say. Okay, cool. Now you've answered all the questions that that I've had, and and honestly, it has been such a pleasure just having you come back. Now, if people that are new that want to come into the space, I know that you have a meetup also as well. You know, it, what is it? it's every Wednesday, isn't that correct? Or most some of the, most of the time, it's every not is it every Wednesday? Yes, yeah, once. Once yeah, a- we do a uh, we do an online Zoom every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, right? 4 p.m. Pacific. We have a guest speaker on a different topic every week, followed by networking in the Zoom breakout room. So, you know, hopefully I'm going to continue that. I started it as a result of the lockdown last year, but uh, mm. we've continued it. And it's even though, even though now everyone's going back to live events pretty much, or not everyone, but it's starting to pick up a lot more. I think we're going to continue it because it's just become such a great community that we've built there and people from all over the country are joining us together. Yeah. And whether you're new, whether you're uh, experienced, I still do think that you can gain a lot from that meetup and also uh, gain so much knowledge just from being in Jonas' community and uh, being surrounded by even his individuals as well that he's been networking with. So definitely, definitely, definitely highly, highly, highly recommend to reach out to Yona. Now, if people, again, want to reach out to you and learn more and and get connected with you, uh, how can they do that? Best way to find me is on LinkedIn. That's that's the truth. LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm very active there. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is. It's like my go-to platform for networking and for just communication in general. And you can go to my website, yonaweiss.com, or even just shoot me an email if you want to, yweiss at madisonspecs.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Yona, for for coming on to the show for our Action Items episode. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, I'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes leave a rating and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.